My name is Matt, and this morning here, I am to talk with you about music ministries. We, as a church, has been through a heck of a lot in the past two years or so. Um, we've seen Pastor Ayers being called elsewhere, and like that was almost two years ago now. And then Pastor Mike and his family moved on, and then we had the Inns, who were a big part of the ministry team, the music ministry team, also moving on. So a bunch of us have been praying about it. We've gone to the church leaders with it. We are coming up with a series of plans in many ways to rebuild, actually, kind of our music ministries department. We basically have been without a music ministries director, for lack of a better word, for, for quite some time. And, you know, you've seen the, the praise team kind of carrying on. You've seen a choir under Louise and Matt, Matthew, you know, carrying on. But, you know, perhaps some more cohesion uh, could be established. And also, we really want to, we desire to, and we need to ask all of you to become more involved in a number of ways. First of all, please pray. Pray for this church. Pray for the various departments within this church. Children's, children's ministry, as a plug, you know, is also undergoing a lot of changes. So please pray for the different areas of the church um, that, you know, we, need, we also need you to, if God calls you and you have the desire and ability and the skill, please serve. In the upcoming days and weeks, we will be making more and more announcements as more plans come to fruition. Um, some of you have already expressed interest to, for example, serve on the praise team. Um, the choir is always there. You know, we always need more people. Um, and also, we want to jumpstart the dance team again with, you know, so um, these are all items. Please think about it. Please pray about it. And when the time comes, if God calls you, please participate. Um, and for some of you who may say, well, I don't know anything about music. I, don't, I, don't, I never have the opportunity. Well, those opportunities will come. There will be perhaps some musical trainings that will be conducted right here at the church, probably on a Sunday. So you, you know, in terms of scheduling, all you, all you need is bring yourself and willing to commit time <laughs> to it. So more announcements will come. We ask for your prayer. We ask for your participation when the time comes. Thank you very much. All right, there we go. This morning our reading is from three different places. From 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who called you is faithful. He will do it. Father, thank you for your word. And as we look at this topic today with a big name of sanctification, it is so important. Because, Lord, you desire not only to come into our lives, you desire to live through our lives. And, Father, you're the one who called us to be holy. And we can't do that apart from you. 
And so, Lord, would you teach us this morning from your word? Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher this morning as we come around your word? And God, I pray that it would be so easy to understand that all of us could get this. But more than just getting it, that, that we would apply this into our lives. We ask that, God, you alone would be given glory this morning. And we pray it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Before you sit down, would you greet somebody who's around you? And if they're new, get their name and introduce yourself to them, please. Well, this morning, before I get started, I just wanted to help you out or just let you know of something that will be coming up. This week, Beck and I will be leaving for Cambodia. We Every year, um, Beck and I are the pastoral care couple for our missionaries in, in Cambodia. And so this is the time of year that we leave and we go to Cambodia. You know, here I thought... It, when we normally when we come from Minnesota, it's the dead of winter, and you know we we come from twenty thirty below zero Fahrenheit, and we go to almost a hundred degrees, and you know, and it's such a difference in our body. And I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be a piece of cake this year. We're in Hong Kong, and we just got to go to Cambodia. There's going to be no jet lag. It's like a hundred degrees there every day now, and it's going to be oh, brother, we're going to be sweating there. But while we're gone, Pastor Stan will be in charge, and he'll be he'll do a good job. The under shepherds as well. Um, but Beck and I will be back on the 19th is when we'll be back. What I would ask of you is this. Normally, when I do this in Minnesota, I would say, if God wakes you up in the middle of the night, it's because it's the middle of the day for us. But as you think about it throughout your day, as you think about it, as God brings Beck and I to mind, please pray for us. We're going to be extremely busy. I'll be preaching six times in four days. And so please pray for us in a time doing a lot of training. We're going to be um, part of the time in Phnom Penh working with the missionaries. And then we're going to go over to the Vietnam, by the Vietnam border with the Rat, in the Ratakani, Rat, Ratanakari province, um, working along, right along the Vietnam border with the tribal area over there, doing some training of tribal pastors as well as Khmer pastors. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but we just covet your prayers because it is a really, really hectic time whenever we go there. So please pray for us. As you, uh, as, as you were hearing the scriptures today, and I hope that last song that, you know, that, that, that last song that we sang during the, um, during the offering, that's a really, that's a, that's a CMA song. It's a Christian Missionary Alliance song. It's very, very famous. But the issue of sanctification, if we could get up the, um, up the, the different symbols. Okay. We talked last week about Christ our Savior, and we talked about how, how what it was that happened at the cross for us. Today we look at Christ our Sanctifier. Now just a question. How many of you have ever heard a message on sanctification? Just put your hand up. 
Okay, there's a few of you. Some of you are saying, what on earth is sanctification? I, you know, last week you threw it as propitiation and justification. Now this week it's sanctification. We're going to tell you what that is. The laver, why the, why the laver, why the cup? What that represents is when the Israelites were going through the, through the desert, there was the a laver, and what it was, it was made from the mirrors of the women. And it was very specific because they made this laver, this, this uh, big basin, and what it was for, for when this priest, be, when they, before they went into the temple, or went into the tabernacle, they would have to wash their hands. And before they washed their hands, they'd have to look in the water. And the water reflected back to them who they were. You know, as we read God's word, it reflects back to us who we are, doesn't it? It really does. And as we look at this issue of sanctification, we read this, as we read this morning, it says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. First of all, it's God's will. The second thing that we see is it's God's work. Because it says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. So it's God's will that you be sanctified. It's God's work that you be sanctified. It's God's work of sanctification. But then God turns around and says, be holy even as I am holy. And how does it happen? How does it happen? And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, this process of sanctification. Because it's God's will, it's God's work, but he also calls us to be involved in this process of sanctification as well. And this is huge because there are many people who do not understand. They come to Christ and they say, well, is this all that there is? I still struggle. I still do all the things that I shouldn't do. And I, I, I want to do the right things, but I can't. I really struggle with it. And for many people as Christians, they've never understood that not only did Christ come to be your Savior, he also came to be the one to make you holy. Because sanctification at its core means to be separate. To be separate from sin and to be separated unto, unto Christ, unto God. First Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Be separated from sin. But then it also says, be separated unto God. For Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. So there is a separation from sin. There's a separation from it, but then there's also a separation unto God. That's what sanctification is. It's being separated from sin and being separated unto God. When you pray to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the moment that you prayed, and we talked about this last week, the moment that you pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, God declares you not guilty. God redeemed you. God God took the wrath upon himself. But the moment that you prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, God also declared you holy. That boggles my mind. God declares you holy. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth. Now, if you know anything about Corinth, was that a healthy church? Oh my goodness, they had problems. Well, we have problems in churches, don't we? Then that was not a healthy church. But he says, to the church of God in Corinth... To those sanctified in Christ and called to be holy. To those literally, some, some um, translations say, to the saints. To the saints in Corinth. Those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. Did you see the two things? On the one hand, it says that they are sanctified. They're declared holy. And then it says, 
that they're called to be holy. When you pray to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, God declares you holy, positionally. If you want to look at the cross, that is your vertical relationship. Positionally, you are holy in the eyes of God. Now, then he turns around and he says, excuse me, he says in 1 Peter 1, chapter 15, chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, I don't know about you. When I read that, I want to say, you're right. I can no more be holy than by flap, I can no more be holy than I can by flapping my arms fly to the moon. I, I can't be, can you? And there isn't a one of us in this room that in and of ourselves that we can be holy. And so why on earth would God ask us to do something that he knows in our own self we can't do? But God asks us to do it. God calls us to be holy. That's a command. That, that's not an option. That's a command. But he calls us to do it in whose strength? Not in our own. See, that's why we get discouraged. We, we, we look at pornography and we say, oh, what am I doing? God, I won't ever do that again. And then three days later, we find ourselves right back at the site that we know we shouldn't be at. Or we say something. We gossip about somebody and we, it's like, ah, what am I doing? I, I know that that's wrong. Or we get angry with our, our spouse. We get angry with our kids. We get angry with the dog. And we think, what's going on? I thought I'm a Christian. And sometimes as Christians, we get discouraged because I, I'm not living up to what it is that God's standard for me. And the problem is, is that I'm doing it in my own strength and not in God's strength. And there are many of us who don't realize that we're not called to do these things in our own strength. But we're called to do those things in God's strength. How about in teaching? Any of you at the place yet? I know when we were in, in Minnesota and in Montana and California and we had Awana at the church, they get to about this time of year and it's like they either want to strangle the kids or they, or they just want to quit because they've had enough. They, they've had enough. They've had enough of the snow. They've had enough of... You know, they just want to be done. Yeah, see, there's somebody. And sometimes we get that way. Maybe it's in a ministry. And we're realizing, man, I'm pouring my heart into this, and, and nothing's happening. Nobody's changing. Nothing's going on here. You need to step back from that and ask yourself the question, are you doing it in your own strength, or are you doing it in God's strength? Because God never called you. Did you catch what it said? What it said in, in, second, in second, first, first Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, that may God himself... The God of peace sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. The one who called you, it says, is faithful. He will do it. So how, how, do, how do we do that? And we're going to talk about it in a second. But there are many of us as Christians who don't realize what it is that God has for us. I don't know that this is a true story, but it's something I'd read a long time ago. A guy who went on a cruise ship, he'd heard all about cruises and how good a cruise was going to be. And he walked into his room and he looked around and all there was was a couch. You know, one of these couches that, that pulls out? Our, our kids called it the rack. You know, you got that, that metal bar right in your back. And he's like, I paid all this money for, for this? And then he, he, he's waiting in his room. He's waiting to be called to, you know, so, or somebody to bring him a meal. And there's nothing. And he digs in his, in his uh, suitcase and he has a half a peanut butter sandwich in the suitcase. The bread's dry. And so he begins to eat. And he's thinking the whole time, I paid all this money for this. 
And the next morning as he got up, he said, I'm going to have a word with the steward. And so he called the steward to his room and he said, what's up with this? He said, I paid all this good money for this room, for this deluxe room, and this is all I get. I get a couch and I get no food. Where, where, what's up with this? And the steward simply looked at him and said, um, just a second. And he walked through the room and there was a door. And he said, oh, I thought that was a door to another room. He said, it is. He says, it's yours. And as he opened the door, here's the big king-sized bed. Here's the beautiful view. And for some of us as Christians, we're saying, hey, what's up with this? What did I sign up for here? I, I prayed to receive Christ, and I thought my life was going to get better. And, and it isn't. And sometimes it isn't because we have God, but God doesn't have us. We have God, but God doesn't have us. Do you catch what I mean by that? We have Christ living in our heart. There's two realities. Listen to these realities. Before, the first reality is with sin. When we come to know Christ, we're delivered from the penalty of sin. Remember, that's justification. We're declared not guilty. When we come to know him as sanctifier, we're delivered from the power of sin. Second so, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Now, here's where you go back to, the, to God's word. Is that true or isn't it? It is true. It is true. We're going to learn in, in two weeks when we go back to, when we get back into this series, Jesus, our healer. Our founder, A.B. Simpson, when he was a young man, he had a terrible heart. Terrible heart. So much so that it took him a lot to just walk down an aisle. And doctors told him that he was probably going to die at a very early age. And he was leading this denomination in its very early fledgling state. And he came to that point of where he couldn't hardly do anything. And he was reading in the scriptures about Christ healing and Christ doing this. And finally he came back to that place of where he said, God, if this is true, then I ask you to do it in my life. And God healed. God healed A.B. Simpson. And we look at a scripture like this and we say, is this true? If I am truly in Christ, then am I new? Am I new? And you got to ask yourself, have I been made new in Christ? What do you think? Yes, you have. Are you living as though you're new? Because there's the difference. He says, if anyone is in Christ, God has given you the power. Before you, when you were saved, you were released from the guilt of your past. Sanctification equipped us to, uh, excuse me, before, when, when you came to know Christ, you were delivered from the penalty of sin. When you come to know him as sanctifier, we're delivered from the power of sin. With death, salvation brings the freedom from eternal death. Sanctification brings us freedom to live in the power of the Spirit. God never calls you to live the Christian life in your own strength and in your own power. That's where we get discouraged because we're trying to do this on our own. Guilt and temptation. Salvation releases us from the guilt of our past. Sanctification equips us to resist the temptations of the future. First First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that says that no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond that which you can bear, but will with the temptation provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. God provides the way out. We read also in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, And God will make all grace to abound in you, all of his grace to abound in you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. 
God gives us the power. God gives us the power not only to live the Christian life, God equips us with the power over temptations that come in our life. Amen? Amen. God here says he will provide a way out. Sanctification provides the ability to, uh, to resist the temptations that come our way. The next one that we see, the next one that we see is salvation. At, at salvation, Christ comes to live in us. At sanctification, Christ chooses to live through us. And that's what he wants. I don't know what jobs, many of you, you got jobs and you're all over the place in Hong Kong, up in Zhenzhen, in China and other places. Some of you, you're just coming into Hong Kong. Everywhere that Christ has placed you, though, he wants to live in and through you. One of the things we've been praying about, we, where we live, uh, I get up early and go to work, you know, to beat the traffic to get here. It's about a 40-minute commute. And where we live... I, we rarely see anybody uh, in, in our building. Uh, if we do, it's just a fleeting, hey, how are you doing? And, and, and they're gone. And we, we've been praying, God, you put us here, and you put us as a light in this, in this uh, building. Lord, would you help us to get to know our neighbors? So at Chinese New Year, we took something to our neighbors, took the little, uh, was it Lycee, the, the, little, the little red packets, and we took them to our neighbors and we said, hi, you know, this is who we are. And, and we've been praying, though, and saying, God, would you open the doors? And here the other day, our neighbor lady, living right next to us, her husband's a doctor, and she came over and she was talking to Becca. And Becca invited her in, and Becca said, oh, would you help me with my Cantonese? And she said, oh, if you'll help me with my English. And I'm thinking, God, thank you. Because what we came here to do was not only to be shepherd, but we also came to allow Christ to live through us. That's a huge thing. When people see Christ living through you, because the sad thing is, is that, you know, in many Christians' lives, it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of separation from sin, nor does it look like there's a whole lot of separation unto Christ. Am I, am I right in that? Yeah. And we as God's followers are called to be ones who allow the light of Christ to shine through them. Say, so then how is it that I am sanctified? I'm glad you asked. The first thing, the first thing that we must do is we must surrender. And I'm looking for that scripture, and I probably didn't put it on here. First, Ephesians chapter 5, verse, verse 18 says, Do not be drunk with wine, which is excess, but be filled with his spirit. It is God's will. It says, this is what God's will is, right before that. It says, this is what God, okay. It says, do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with his spirit. What did God call us to do? That, that's a command. The first thing that we do to live a sanctified life, to take Christ as our sanctifier, is we must surrender. Anybody here ever come to that point in their life? Maybe you're at that point in your life right now where you're saying, I can't do this any longer. You're at, you're at a place in your life where you're just, you've, you, you hit a roadblock in, in your spiritual life. You can't love this person. This is a person that uh, maybe is your, your husband or your wife, and you're just saying, I, I, I'm, at, I'm at my wit's end here. I just can't handle this anymore. Or maybe there's something going on in your spiritual life where you just, I can't do this anymore. And Paul, the Apostle Paul said in, in Romans chapter 7, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But thanks be to Christ. 
Thanks be to Christ. Christ is the one that delivers us. In order for us to be sanctified, we need to surrender. And to surrender under who? To surrender under Christ. We must be filled with his spirit. To be filled means what? You've got to empty yourself out of something, don't you? And what it is that Christ longs to do is to empty us of ourselves. How does he do that? He does that through the Holy Spirit. I was reading a story and it's like, ugh, takes me back to when my kids were smaller. This guy asked his son, he came home and his kid was playing on the video games. And he said, hey, he looked at the floor and he said, I thought I asked you to vacuum the floor. Kid kind of puts the controller down and goes and starts up the vacuum cleaner. And he said, the father said, okay, good. I got got through my kid. And so he hears the vacuum cleaner. About 20 seconds later, the vacuum cleaner's off. And he said, "Are, are, are you done already? He said, yep. And so the dad went around, he looked, and there was, uh, you know, the goldfish crackers. They were all crushed all over here, and there was some other junk over here. And he, sa- he said to his son, come, come back here. He said, I thought you told me that you vacuumed the floor. He said, I did. I did. And he said, okay, so what's with the crackers all crun- crunched up over there on the floor? What about all the papers and stuff over there? Oh, I didn't see that. He said, well, let me help you to see that. And the Holy Spirit, when he comes into our life, which he's there, isn't he? Acts chapter 2, verse 38, says this. It says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sin. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me just stop there a second. Because there's a point in there that needs to be emphasized. It says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. That's a a phrase that some take and say that, oh, the second part of when I become a Christian is that I must be baptized. Because it says there that in order for me to be forgiven of my sins, that I need to be baptized. Is that truth? It's not. Here's the issue. Let me ask you this question. And maybe this is a way that Americans say it, but see if it works for you. We say in English, you, you, you take aspirin for a headache. You take some aspirin for a headache. Do you take the aspirin to get the headache or because you have the headache? Because you have the headache. That's exactly the way that this is written here. When it says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for, it's because, because you have been forgiven of your sins. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. It's because you have been forgiven of your sins that you should be baptized. But then it goes on, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Whenever you pray to receive Christ, that moment that you pray to receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. And that's why I say, for some, we have God, but God doesn't have us. We have never surrendered our life over and asked God to fill us with his Holy Spirit. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he said, The flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to life. Anything that we do, hear this well, young people, Hear this well. Anything that we do in and of our own strength, without the filling of the Holy Spirit, without the anointing of the Holy Spirit, will amount, well, there, will, there may be some work, or there may be some things that happen for a while, but in the end it will have no eternal fruit. Only that which is done through the power and through the anointing and through the leading of the Holy Spirit will amount to anything. God says for us to be filled with His Spirit. Can I ask you that question then? Are you filled with his spirit? And it says be filled, but it's a be being filled. 
It's something that as your feet hit the floor in the morning, you ask, ask or you, you request of God and say, God, would you fill me again with your spirit? Will he? Here's where the promise comes in, because it's his promise. He will. It's his will that you be filled with his spirit. Christian, are you filled with his spirit? And that's something that we do on a daily basis. Surrender. Surrender unto God. The second thing is that we must accept. We must accept that Christ is our sanctifier in the same way that he is our Savior. We need to accept the fact that he is, in the same way that he is our Savior, he is also our sanctifier. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says this. I'll, I'll read it. For I am crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the... The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ, he says, and I no longer live. I not only must surrender my my life, I not only must be filled with his spirit, but I must also accept the fact that Christ lives within me. When you prayed to receive Christ, you gave your life over to him. You gave up that right, that right to control. And it says that I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. The reason that we sometimes have problems is why? Is because it's me who's living through me and not Christ who's living through, in, through me. I must not only surrender my life, but I must also accept the fact that he is my sanctifier. And the third one is this. We must abide in him. We must abide in him. John chapter 15, and it's verse 4, 5, and 8. It says, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That is a powerful verse. That is a powerful verse. God says, if you abide in me and I, my word in you, you will do what? You will bear much fruit. He says, but apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. So we must surrender. We must accept the fact that he's our our sanctifier and invite him as well. We must abide in him. And John 15, 8 says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. And we read in Galatians chapter 5, these words in in chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. So I say then, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Holy Spirit, you are not under the law. What is it saying? It's saying that there's two two things at war in your life, aren't there? That the spirit desires that which is contrary, that which is, or the sinful nature desires that which is contrary to the spirit, and likewise the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. There's a battle that's going on. But we must not only surrender, we must not only accept that Christ is our sanctifier, but we must lastly abide in him. Because when you abide in him, are the temptations going to come? They will count in it. And the temptation, not only just to do wrong, but to do things in my own strength and in my own power. I don't need to spend time in God's word. Right now, oh my goodness, in in my devotions, I'm in, I'm in the book of Ezekiel. Oh, my goodness. 
the last several chapters of Ezekiel are all about the temple and all about how big the temple is. It's this many cubits by this many cubits. And it just repeats and it's like, ah, how much longer is this going to go on? I love God's word. Don't get me wrong. But there are times when you read and it's like, oh my goodness, how much more of this can I take? But I come back to the fact that I love God's word because when I am in God's word, God speaks to my heart about what it is that he finds in my life that either he wants to work on or needs to leave my life. Because he wants me to do what? He wants me to bear fruit. He wants you to bear fruit. This is to my Father's glory, he says, that you bear much fruit. Okay, so when we're in Minnesota, one of the hard things that's been about coming here is we had in our backyard, we had an acre of just backyard. And then we had the garden. We had a big garden in in the back of our, our property, and Becca had her bees. And we thought, well, why don't we plant some apple trees in our backyard? So we planted six apple trees. We had to protect them from the deer that would come because the deer would eat all, all the stuff off, so we had put fence up around it. And so for like four or five years that we had these apple trees, up until just this last year, it was nothing. Spring would come and you'd think that there'd be some blossoms on Nothing. Nothing. And I'm like, I planted these trees and I, I, I planted them not so that I could see green leaves. I want some fruit. I want some fruit on these trees. And I, I'm a master gardener. When I went, I took a year of sabbatic or took a, a three-month sabbatical, I thought, well, I want to do something. I want to volunteer. So I took a course to the state of Minnesota and became a master gardener. And, I'm, and here I am. I can't even fix my trees. It's like, why are these trees not working? Why are they not producing blossoms? Why is there no fruit on these trees? So I went up to a place that was north of us about an hour and a half and had a big nursery up there. And I asked one of the old guys there that worked with the, with the fruit trees, I said, okay, so what do I do with my apple trees? They're not producing a thing. I said, not a, not a one of them. And he's like, well, you got to get tough with them. I said, what do you mean? He says, you got to take a knife. And he says, just after, just after when they should blossom, he said, you take a knife and you begin, you cut around the bottom. He said, don't cut really, really deep. But he said, you just cut around the bottom of that tree. And he said, that's going to tell the tree that it's going to stress the tree. It's going to tell the tree that next year it needs to produce blossoms and it needs to produce fruit. I'm thinking, really? Is that, that all that there is? So I dutifully went out there and he said, you won't have anything this year. But he said, next year you watch out. So I cut around the tree, went around the tree, and all that summer, all I did was looked at, at green leaves, not, a, not an apple on the tree. But this past spring, my goodness, for the first time, we had blossoms. And not only did we have blossoms, we had apples. So many apples that I had to go out in the middle of summer and pick the apples off of them because there were too many. And I'm thinking, huh, there is something to this. And in our lives... The Holy Spirit is the one who works to produce fruit in our lives. Because why? Because he wants to bring God's glory. And, and for some of us, he sees, oh, there, there's no fruit here. There's no fruit going on in their life. And what does he do? Does he sometimes have to get our attention to produce fruit? Yeah. And sometimes as we walk through things, we say, oh, God, give me patience. That's a terrible prayer to pray. Why? Because will he bring you through things that are going to work to really strengthen your, your patience? He will. And there are other things, too, that God may be pointing out in you. He's saying, you know, you really struggle with, would you let me help you in that? Because I want you to bear fruit, and I can enable you to bear fruit. Because God wants us, our lives to produce fruit. 
But apart from him, we can do nothing. So let me ask you this question as we finish up here. Is Christ your sanctifier? I pray that he is. I pray that he is. Christian, are you being filled with his spirit on a daily basis? Are are you doing the things that you're doing in his strength or are you doing them in your own strength? And maybe today is the day that as as we go to prayer, that where your seat is, that is the altar before, before which you bow before God. And thereby you take Christ not only as your Savior, but you say, I realize today that you are my sanctifier as well. Would you come and would you help me to produce the fruit that you desire? Would you come and make me holy? Would you come and do what it is that God you long to do? What will that mean of us? That will mean surrender on our part, won't it? And for some of us, it's easy to say that, but it's quite different because he may be asking you to surrender something that you really like but it's something that is driving a wedge between you and your relationship with God. Are you willing to give that up? He also asks us to accept that he is your sanctifier, that he's the one who longs to make you holy, that he's the one who enables us to live the life that he calls us to. And the third thing is that he calls you to abide in him. Do you love his word? Do you love his word? That's a prayer that we can pray and ask, God, would you help me to love your word? Would you give me a hunger and a thirst for your word? And he will. But as you read his word, he will also speak to your heart about what it is that's not producing fruit in your life. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your word today. And God, as we come before you, there are many of us that... We hear about the filling of the Holy Spirit and we think that's just something that other churches do. But God, you call us to be filled. You said it's your will that we would be filled with your Holy Spirit. And God, when we're filled with your Holy Spirit, we're not going to fall down on the ground and, and froth at the mouth. But God, when we are filled with your Spirit, our lives are surrendered to you. And God, you long for our lives. You long for this church to be surrendered unto you, to be filled with your spirit, that, God, you can do what it is that you want to do in and through us. Lord, I pray that in our lives, God, as we have heard your word this morning, there are many of us who have never taken that first step of surrendering, of saying that, God, I need you. We're banging our head against the wall. We're so frustrated with the way that that our life is going, and we realize that, We have you, but you don't have us. And God, today, as we come before you, Lord, you promised, you said it's your word, your will. Lord, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you fill us with your spirit? And God, would you bring us back to the well daily that we would be filled with you, that you would be the one that is allowed to be seen in and through us. God, I pray, too, that you would give us a love for your word. That, God, you would give us the ability to wait and listen to you. And that, God, when we hear your Holy Spirit prompting and saying, that's not something that I want you to do, that we listen. And when you say that is something that you want us to do, that then the same thing, that, God, in obedience, we do what it is you call us to do. For, Lord God, you long to see fruit. And God, there's much that we do here 
And I pray that, God, what we do here is done under the unction and under the anointing of the Holy Spirit so that all the praise goes back to you and all the glory belongs to you and to you alone. I pray this now, Father, asking as well that while we're gone, that, God, your hand of blessing would just be upon Pastor Stan as he brings the word to us next week and that your hand would be over this precious congregation in a mighty way. And I pray it all to the glory of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me as our Lord has taught us to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.